prayer. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, we bow you before you today with grateful hearts, thankful that we can again have the opportunity to gather in your house to worship you this morning. Father, I thank you for the message you have laid on Brother Lester's heart. Just pray you be with him, bless him with clarity of mind and thought as he brings us your word. And I just pray you would help us to, to speak to our hearts as well, that we might go forth and share forth the praises of your kingdom. We just pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Greetings to each one this morning. It's a joy to be gathered together with God's family, with other believers. My sermon this morning, I'd like to turn to 1 Samuel chapter 12, and I'm just going to read these verses without uh, referring to them a lot, so you can just listen if you want to. 1 Samuel chapter 12, and I want to read 19 through 22. And um, what we have happening here is the children of Israel were insisting on having a king like the other nations, they said. And looked around them and saw how other nations had a powerful leader, a significant person um, as their leader, and they wanted to be like that. And as we know, God was not in favor of that, but he allowed them to do that and at the same time told them that uh, there'll be some consequences for this. So I'll begin reading in chapter 12, verses 19 through 22. And I'm particularly zeroing in here on a phrase um, that, that he uses uh, where he says, for his great name's sake. Verse 19, And all the people said to Samuel, Pray for your servants to the Lord your God that we may not die, for we have added to all our sins the evil of asking a king for ourselves. So here they realize after Samuel spoke to them that what they were doing was wrong. Samuel said to the people, Do not fear, you have done all this wickedness, yet do not turn aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. And do not turn aside, for then you would go after empty things which cannot profit or deliver, for they are nothing. For the Lord will not forsake his people for his great name's sake, because it has pleased the Lord to make you his people. God said that despite what they had done in, in not following and disobeying him, not following his commands, he would not forsake them because of his name's sake and because it was pleasing to him. Please the Lord to make you his people. This phrase, for my name's sake or for the Lord's name, uh, there's different variations of that, are frequently used in the scripture. And this is what really stood out to me and made me do some, some searching and some digging as to what does this mean? What is the significance of this phrase? It means... Uh, it's, it's referring to, when it says the name of God, it's referring to his character, who he is, or even more than that, his reputation. I think that's fairly easy for us to understand. Um, we, we can, I could use the illustration of, of if you have a business name, which may even include your name, and, and you want that name to have a good reputation so that people buy your product or come do business with you or whatever it may be. You want that name to have a good reputation in the world around you. 
You want people to think of positive things when they hear that name. And this is how, what God is referring to when he says, for my name's sake. He has a name and he wants the world to think favorably when they hear that name. He, he wants his name to go out to the world. And he acts on behalf of his name or his reputation. I'd like to just go back to Ray's devotional this morning. And, and when he turned to Hebrews chapter 12 there, before he started reading, I glanced down through there and, and I see verse 2 where it says, for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. And, and right away I thought, you know, that, that fits in very well with my sermon. And I hadn't even, that was not a passage I had, had turned to in my preparation. And sure enough, Ray goes and, and highlights that phrase. For the joy that was set before him. And Ray also used an, another word that I'm going to refer to frequently here is, is God's motive. Or what, what motivates him, what makes him move or, or what makes him act. In Hebrews, it says it was for the joy that was set before him. So there's this in, in, in this um, in talking about the name of the Lord for his name's sake. Um, another term that that is very similar, that's also frequently used in Scripture is for his glory. Um, or, or it refers to him glorifying himself. And I think the, the difficult, a difficult thing for us to grasp sometimes in this is that that okay we can understand that that we do things for the sake of somebody else, or that God would do something um, for for us, and we tend to we tend to think well because we have done we have chosen to follow God you know He died for us and now He's going to do something for us to glorify Himself, but. Um, God does um, what he does for his own glory and pleasure. And, and it's, it's a concept I find a little bit difficult to wrap my mind around and even explain. So my, my prayer this morning is that, that this sermon could just get you thinking and, and looking into this and the significance of this phrase, um, for my name's sake, that God so often speaks, and shows to us in his word. We are commanded to, to do all for God's glory. Uh, one example is Colossians 3.17. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. But God does all that he does for his own glory, not for our glory, for his own glory. And that's a little bit hard for us to grasp. For his joy, for his pleasure, is why he does what he does. Uh, motives are, are important to understand, and there's often a lot of misunderstandings around motives. Motives can be somewhat obscure, and we struggle to even know our own motives sometimes in what we do. Much less someone else's. So we want to look at, dig into here, what, what is God's motive? What motivates him? It's important to seek to understand God's motives. We, especially when we face difficult things in life, um, 
and life is not going well for us, whatever that might be, we sometimes ask those questions. Why does God do this? Why did God allow this? Where is God at? Why is he doing what he's doing? We're questioning his motives, wondering if he really is sovereign, if he really has our best interest in mind. Perhaps sometimes or often when we ask these questions, when life is not going well for us, it simply is showing us that we are misunderstanding God. Because God's motive is to do what brings glory and pleasure and honor to Him for His name's sake. When we ask these questions, sometimes we're thinking, why doesn't God do something for me? Why isn't God giving me what I think I need? Rather than recognizing that God does what He does for His own honor and glory. Misunderstanding motives or assuming intent uh, oftentimes brings trouble in a relationship, in our, in our interpersonal relationships um, among each other as humans. And I, I think it's a little bit the same way with God. When we misunderstand His motives, uh, when we assume that He intends to do something for us rather than um, doing what He's doing for His own honor and glory, it can, can bring some trouble to that relationship with Him. So that's why I think it's important that we look into this and seek to understand why God does what he does. Ray also referred then to that joy in, in John chapter 17, in verse 13. It indicates that God would like for us to also experience that joy, that joy that, that um, he has. And the Bible is God's revelation of himself to us. And part of that revelation includes um, a view of what his motives are, what drives him, what moves him to act. I want to point out to you a number of times when this phrase, for my namesake, or a similar phrase, is used in Scripture. I, I cannot cover all of them, but I want to give you a little picture of, of how often this is used and in what situations it's used. We could start right at, at creation, um, God said when he made light, the very first thing he made, just separated the, the, the day from the night. And he said it was good. Now, if you stop and think about that, why did God make light? And what about it was good? It was good to who? It wasn't good for anything or anybody other than God himself. But God said it was good. There was nobody else there to enjoy that, nobody else to benefit from that. That was for God's honor and glory, for his name's sake. That the world was created. And of course he, he repeated that again and again. It was good. And, and when he was finished with creation, he said it was good. It was for himself. And, and this can be a little hard for us to, to grasp sometimes because we tend to, to think of ourselves or label others as selfish if they're only thinking about themselves. But that's really what God is doing. He's doing this for himself. In Exodus chapter 32, uh, if you care to turn with me there. Exodus 32, this is one of the times when Moses was pleading with God for his people. Here was after they had 
rejected God by building a golden calf and worshiping it while Moses was gone. When Moses found out about this, or when, when God, when he came down from the mountain and saw this, and then, then um, God talked to him, and, and we'll see what he says here. We'll begin in, in verse 9 of Exodus chapter 32. The Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and indeed it is a stiff-necked people. Now therefore let me alone, that my wrath may burn hot against them, and I may consume them, and I will make of you a great nation. Then Moses pleaded with the Lord his God and said, Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people when you have brought out of the land of you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians speak and say, He brought them out to harm them, to kill them in the mountains, and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your fierce wrath and relent from this harm to your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, to whom you swore by your own self, and said to them, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of heaven. And all this land that I have spoken of, I give to your descendants, and they shall inherit it forever. So the Lord relented from the harm which he said he, was, which he, said he would do to his people. Here we see God looking at these people, part of his creation, and saying, I don't need them anymore. I'm going to destroy them. They have rebelled against me. I will make of you, Moses, I will bring a new group of people, a new nation. Moses pleaded with God that because of his namesake, because of his reputation, and because of what he said he would do, that he would not harm these people. And God listened. God relented from the harm which he said he would do to his people. This happened again in Numbers 14. And I'll just turn there briefly. A second time. This was now after they were at the border of the promised land. And instead of going in and taking the land as God had instructed them. They were afraid of the giants there. And they um, were unwilling to go into the land that God had said he would lead them into. In Numbers chapter 14, verses 11 through 21, the Lord said to Moses, How long will these people reject me, and how long will they not believe me? With all the signs which I have performed among them, I will strike them with the pestilence and disinherit them. I will make of you a nation greater and mightier than they. And Moses said to the Lord, Then the Egyptians will hear it, for by your might you brought these people up from among them, and they will tell it to the inhabitants of this land. They have heard that you, Lord, are among these people, that you, Lord, are seen face to face, and your cloud stands above them, and you go before them in a pillar of cloud by day and in a pillar of fire by night. Now if you kill these people as one man, then the nations which have heard of your fame will speak, saying, Because the Lord has not been able to bring his people to the land which he swore to give them, therefore he killed them in the wilderness. And now I pray, let the power of my Lord be great, and just as you have spoken, saying, The Lord is long-suffering and abundant in mercy, forgiving iniquity and transgression, but he by no means clears the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation. Pardon the iniquity of this people, I pray, according to the greatness of your mercy, just as you have forgiven this people from Egypt even until now. Then the Lord said, I have pardoned according to your word. But truly as I live, all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord. Again we see 
what happens uh, at a point where God was willing to destroy these people and do something different. Even giving Moses that offer of, of, I will use you and your descendants. And it is only as Moses brings to God, um, his, his repu- reminds him of his reputation and, and what this would, would say to the nations around them and what this would say about God and keeping his promises that God relents and then shows mercy to his people. So we see here how important that reputation is to God. Moses was here also, I believe, a good example of, of what it means to... Uh, he was one who understood that it was not about him. It's not about what God could do with him, though he was a great man. But it was about God's reputation. Moses could have taken God up on that offer here very easily and said, yeah, use me. But he realized, as we should too, that it's about God's reputation. Another passage that brings this out numerous times is in Ezekiel chapter 20. And this is just uh, a bit of a, a maybe a uh, recounting the, the story of, of God's people and how they uh, continually rebelled against God. He would give them another opportunity. They'd turn away from him again and again and again. And so here we find God's people pleading with God again, coming to inquire of him. It says in verse 1, It came to pass in the seventh year in the fifth month, on the tenth day of the month, that certain of the elders of Israel came to inquire of the Lord and sat before me. This is Ezekiel the prophet speaking. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, speak to the elders of Israel and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Have you come to inquire of me? As I live, says the Lord God, I will not be inquired of by you. Will you judge them, son of man? Will you judge them? Then make known to them the abominations of their fathers. And and he goes on to tell Ezekiel there to just remind these people of all the abominations, all the sin that they have committed, all that they have done against God, and how that time and again they were rebellious. And I'll just read, pick out a couple verses down through this chapter here that basically all are saying the same thing. So as, as God is instructing Ezekiel on what to say, um, he says in verse 9, But I acted for my name's sake, that it should not be profaned before the Gentiles among whom they were, in whose sight I have made myself known to them, to bring them out of the land of Egypt. God is saying, you, you rebelled against me, but I, I'm giving you another chance for my name's sake. And then also verse 14 But I acted for my name's sake, that it should not be profaned among the Gentiles in whose sight I have brought them out. And basically saying the same thing again in verse 22. Nevertheless, I withdrew my hand and acted for my name's sake, that it should not be profaned in the sight of the Gentiles in whose sight I have brought them out. And one more time in verse 44. Then you shall know that I am the Lord when I have dealt with you for my name's sake, not according to your wicked ways, nor according to your corrupt doings, O house of Israel, says the Lord God. We can also find in Isaiah 48, where he again says, For my name's sake I will defer my anger, and for my praise I will restrain it from you, so that I do not cut you off. Behold, I have refined you, but not as silver. I have tested you in the furnace of affliction. For my own sake, for my own sake, I will do it. 
For how should my name be profaned? And I will not give my glory to another. So there in that passage we see that, that, for, that for my name's sake, that, that for his glory, that phrase, um, as well as that, that his name would not be profaned. And this understanding of, of what moves God or what motivates God is also carried over into the New Testament by the apostles. In Romans 1.5, Paul says, Through him we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to faith among all nations for his name. And 1 John 2.12, I write to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. That's just a few examples throughout the scripture of God using that phrase or speaking of that as his motivation for why he will save his people, why he will time and again um, show mercy to them, give them another chance for his name's sake. When we think of that as, as God's motivation for why he acts, for the joy that was set before him, for his honor and glory, for his name's sake, for his reputation. How does this affect our lives? How does, how does this have potentially changed the way we view God? And how do we understand, um, how do we apply that as God's motive? How do we, we see that in our lives? One way, I think, is in our level of honor and respect for God's name. And the challenge to us today is, is our respect for the name of God and just using the name of God verbally or whatever way it may be. Is our respect for his name growing? Even as the world around us um, slanders and defames his name, is our respect for God's name growing? Is it increasing as we get to know him more and more? We should have a high level of respect for the name of God. That includes our language, and that includes the way we worship Him, the way we pray to Him. In the Lord's Prayer, when the disciples asked for, for an example on how to pray, Jesus began with, or He used that phrase, Hallowed be Thy name. Hallowed be Thy name. We appeal to God for His name's sake. This potentially changes how we pray when we say, Hallowed be thy name. Your name is holy. And we, we appeal to God because of his name's sake. We often, in our prayers, we tend to become selfish. Think about what we want, what we need, rather than what will glorify God, what will ultimately glorify God the most. I think it's good for us to pray like Jesus did. Not my will, but thine be done. And hallowed be thy name. The fact that God is so interested in protecting his name, in honoring his own name, and is indeed the, the motive for why he saves us, tells us that we in ourselves have no inherent value that God would save us. God was ready to wipe out his people on numerous occasions. But because of his namesake, 
he saved them. We have no value in us that God wants to save us. But it is because of the glory that it brings him that he offers us salvation. We find it easy to expect him to glorify us if we glorify him. That seems to be our our tendency. I give something to you. I expect something back from you. I glorify God. I expect him to glorify me. To somehow make me a better person. Make me, give me a better life. We'll give our lives for him if he gives our life for us. But this is not what he does. God does everything for his own glory, for his own name's sake. Just as a child is born completely um, self-centered, they don't come into this world looking what they can do for other people. A child is born completely self-centered, and unless as parents, we, we intervene or somebody teaches and trains them to, to look outside of themselves, to look out for the good of others, to show kindness to others, and to realize that you know, they're, they're put here by God. It's ultimately God is the reason that they're alive. Unless we lead them and train them in that way, they will continue to live their lives in this very self-centered way. And you can probably maybe have seen examples of people who, who do that and how destructive and um, sometimes just miserable it is to be around people like that. As Christians, we too, in, in our Christian walk, we need to move from a self-centeredness to a Christ-centeredness. And this, this doesn't happen just instantly when we're born again. But it's often a, a journey that, that we need to move in, that we become, that we move from self-centeredness to Christ-centeredness, to thinking not about just what's good for me, but what brings honor and glory to God's name. I thought of the example of Fanny Crosby a couple weeks ago. Joss referred to this when we had a hymn sing here, and we were talking about some of the hymn writers and their lives, and, and the, the, the testimony that they had. And he reminded us, I think I had heard this before, of how that Fanny Crosby was, we know she was blind, she wrote a lot of songs. And she at one time testified that she would rather live, she would prefer to live in blindness the rest of her life, so that, that the first face that she sees is the face of her Savior. She was an example of someone who had moved from that self-centeredness to a Christ-centeredness. She wasn't thinking about herself. Wasn't even really desiring that physical healing that she could see again. But wanted to see the face of Christ. To experience God's glory. To be with Him. Understanding God's motives in this also gives us courage in the face of danger. In Luke 21, 12, Before all these they shall lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and into prisons, being brought before kings and rulers for my name's sake. That was Jesus' words to his disciples. And is for us today as well. We persecuted, put into prison, For his name's sake. 
So as we face these dangers, um, as we face the difficulties and the challenges in life, and we realize that we are being persecuted, we are being hated by the world because of Jesus' name, and we can endure those persecutions for his name's sake. Luke 21, 17 also says, You shall be hated of all men for my name's sake. God finds great pleasure and glory in bringing us into his presence. In John 17, I'm going to refer to another verse there. In that prayer that Jesus prayed just before he was crucified, he says in verse 24 through 26, Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which you have given me, for you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, the world has not known you, but I have known you, and these have known that you sent me. And I have declared to them your name, and will declare it, that the love with which you love me may be in them, and I in them. Here we see that God finds great pleasure and glory in bringing us into his presence. The glory which you gave me, Jesus said, as your son, which you and I share, that glory, I also want my people, my followers, to experience, that they may behold my glory, which you have given to me. God's greatest pleasure and glory is in lifting up his name, and as he draws us into his presence, he is honored and glorified. There's no greater cause than the cause of for his name's sake. We may do things for the sake of others, for our children, for our church, for our country, for a needy person. To God, there is no greater cause than his own name's sake. It is God's inherent goodness and perfection and the honor of that reputation that motivates him to act on our behalf. Psalm 23.3 says, He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Let's keep that in mind in our Christian lives. What motivates us? Is it the honor and glory of God? Are we waiting for God to do something for us that only glorifies ourselves? He leads us in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Heavenly Father, we bow before you this morning. We thank you for these words, for the scriptures, the revelation of who you are and how that impacts our lives. We, we pray that you would continue to speak to us. Thank you that you do all things for your honor and glory. We want to be a part of that glory as we Come into a relationship with you. Help us to understand what this means in our daily lives. That we do all things for your honor and glory. And for your name's sake. We want to honor and reverence your name. In Jesus' name, amen.